available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. Liner, going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site. On the 24-7 Sports Network. All right. Nice, David. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com, the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions, talking all things Pac-12 football. Might sound a little different. I'm in uh, outside of Boston, Massachusetts right now on my laptop with some headphones, not the normal studio stuff. David's taken over all the heavy lifting on the technical side. He's uh, Dave, you're stepping up this week. I am. I'm stepping up. I got a new mic um, that's insanely sensitive. So all of my mouse clicks, all of my mouth noises, every time I inhale, you're going to hear it all, baby. Every last just disgusting noise out of my (laughs) mouth is coming to you live. Nice. You can you can see the spittle coming out of. Oh man, Dave you can see it all. Up. Yeah, no, you can feel it. It's gonna. It, you're gonna feel a little bit of wetness on your face when I'm talking. <laughs> Full immersion on the. Oh, uh, that's what we do here. That's what we do. <laughs> well, we want to make you part of the show. So, hey, you got a note you want to send us? Pack twelve podcast at gmail dot com. The email address. If you'd rather call or text us, you can do that too. Four two four five three two zero six. Seven eight. You can tweet us at Pac-12 Podcast and the website is always Pac12Podcast.com with all our old episodes. Please subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all that stuff. Anywhere you can get a podcast, please look for a podcast of champions. Tell everyone about it. Let us let, let your friends know. Hey man, this is a pretty decent podcast, which I think that's what most of our reviews say, David. We're pretty decent. Yeah, altogether okay. Which yeah. that's great. Uh, We do have some new reviews. Shall I read them? Yes, that would be awesome. All right. Uh, We've got uh, from 5 underscore O underscore 3. That's a Portland area code for all you uh, uninitiated. Uh, This is a five-star Skoducks. Uh, Love what you guys do. Listen every week. You guys are the pioneers of all Pac-12 podcasts. Both are very knowledgeable on most news in all schools. Believe it or not, you guys are helping the Pac-12 stay relevant. I would throw some Disney reference in there, but it's not needed. Ha ha. Keep them coming. Love the content. Thank you, guys. And as much as I hate to agree with the Husky fan who reviewed right before me, keep Clay and Chip in L.A. LOL. <laughs> All right. So we'll re- now read the Husky fan who was right before him. Uh, this is another five-star review from Dub in Torrance. Uh, the Clemson of Pac-12 Podcasts. Uh, while they may be a decent team, they stand alone as the only good team in the ACC, just as the POC is, is to Pac-12 podcasts. Okay. Uh, if you like an hour and a half to two hours of banter, talk, and every once in a while some informed conversation about the aggressively average Pac-12, this pod is for you. Do you suffer from battered Bruin syndrome? This podcast is also for you, as Dave Woods swallows in the wasted potential of the UCLA football program. 
Finally, if you like crescent rolls, cinnamon rolls, and all other sorts of doughy baked goods, Ryan Abraham is the man to give you insight into the Pillsbury Doughboy himself. Otherwise known as obviously the greatest coach in the Pac-12, otherwise otherwise known as the clayiest of Heltons, I'm looking forward to keeping <laughs> back all the darkness of the winter and spring without football by listening to Pod Breakdown all the Pac-12 off-seasons and all of their average glory. Love the pod. Go Bruins. All nice. right. And we've got, looks like, two more. All right. One from Zippy Rules. This is the Husky fan. Uh, as a Husky fan, I appreciate your fair, balanced perspective of the Pac-12. All of Husky Nation endorses retaining Clay Helton and Chip Kelly. Go Huskies. Oregon stinks. And then Fat Husky, <laughs> Fat Husky with two Ts, says, Never change. Keep name bashing Dave. You to goat. Nice. Is it P-H-A-T-T? No, just or F-A-T-T. Just bring in that. Oh. Interesting. Ooh, All right. Wait, sorry. There's one more. Wow, we got a lot oh. last week. It's almost like I thank you for I basically. That's awesome. It's almost like I basically berated people into doing it. You uh, did. <laughs> this is Boz one nine six nine six zero, the Heisman Trophy of podcasts. If you love listening to grown men talk about Disney princesses, make animal noises, and talk about Champagne Larry, then this is the podcast for you. Ryan and Dave attempt to talk about all things Pac-12 football, but with Ryan's lackluster relationship with reading the listeners' questions and Dave's inability to prep for each episode, surely there isn't a better Pac-12 podcast out there. Love the show. Keep up the great work. Nice. Thanks. Uh, we, can't play your, we can't play the drop because I'm not in my studio, so I'm just on my laptop. I don't have all the drops, so sorry about that. But there was a great Champagne Larry opportunity right there. Yeah, there really was. I don't know if I can match Gonzano's cadence. Otherwise, I would fulfill my duties here. Uh, we all know that Champagne Larry likes to roll large. <laughs> I can't really do it. I can't really do a Gonzano. It's tough. Um, yeah. He was good. He was really good in that one. Yeah. Um, hey, well, thanks for the reviews. That's We love those. Those are great. I mean, I, I've been a part of a bunch of other podcasts. No one reviews like the, like our listeners. So, And uh, the fact that we get people from the different fan bases all kind of writing in and uh, you know, Oregon fans agreeing with Washington fans. I mean, we're we're doing a, we're, I think we're doing a service for the Pac-12. Yes, we make fun of the Pac-12 a little bit, but we're keeping them relevant. Like one of the reviewers said, I like I like that. We bring the people together. It's what we do. Yeah. Here on the POC. All right, we got some news, Ryan. Ooh, what kind of newsy stuff do we got, Dave? I mean, I don't know. It's actually not that great, but let's look. I, I like to I like to really <laughs> set expectations properly. Um. I think that probably the biggest thing from the weekend, and we're going to talk about their game in just a little bit, but uh, Jimmy Lake wasting absolutely no time um, making some changes. Uh, I think this was the thing that was most promising about having new blood in there is that you can finally fix that offense. Um, fired Bush Hamden, um, the offense coordinator, or whatever, didn't retain him, whatever you want to use semantic-wise. Yeah. And also the tight ends coach. Um, so that frees up big spot at the, one of the premier uh, Pac-12 schools for an OC. Um, I, I saw some some speculation that maybe Chip Long, the, uh, the also weirdly not retained Notre Dame offensive coordinator, who uh, certainly put together some good offenses there. I don't know what Brian Kelly's up to. Um, but I've heard his name bandied about. But um, certainly they've got room now to go to something uh, potentially a little bit more not – you know, 2007 Boise State offense, which would be cool. Yeah, and uh, it was interesting because if Chip Long, if that's real, that is really interesting because we saw Brian Kelly make a whole wholesale changes after they went four and eight a few years back, and 
end up in the playoffs. So that's a coordinator that has been to the playoffs and, and brought a team there and Washington to be fair. I don't know if, uh, Bush Hamden knew this was going to happen, but that offense looks so much better in the bowl game than what we've seen all year, which is pretty funny. Uh, maybe that was sort of his, uh, swan song, just going out there. I want to go out on a high note. Um, but there, I don't know if a fire was lit under them or what, but that did not look like the Washington we've seen in the past. We'll talk about that game in a little bit, but I think that's not, and for Jimmy Lake to be able to make those moves, you replace a guy as prominent as Chris Peterson, everything that we've heard from Chris Peterson, from everyone else, it seems like they're happy with Jimmy Lake taking things over. It was really quick announcing he's gone, announcing Jimmy Lake is stepping up and for him to make these moves right away, for them to look as good as they did in the bowl game, for the defense to play as well as it did. I don't know if you could have a smoother transition than what we're seeing at Washington right now. No, and it's going extremely smoothly. And I, I think Jimmy Lake's going to do some really great things there, um, especially if they can get this, uh, get a, a big time offensive coordinator done. But the fact that he was willing to fire Hamden immediately after the season, I mean, I know he's not the guy who hired him, but still, um, that's, that's, that's a good sign. Good sign that they yeah. were willing to do that so quickly. And then uh, in Arizona, someone you're familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. Paul Rhodes, who was the DB coach, I believe, secondary coach for UCLA, is now going to be the defensive coordinator for Kevin Sumlin. So usually, like, if you hire a guy that's, you know, in charge of defensive backs, I assume, I don't remember the stats, but I assume UCLA secondary was lights out this year, David, right? Like, that's why you'd hire a guy like Paul Rhodes. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of a play on lights out that would work here. Um, played like they were blacked out. Um, maybe. Um, yeah, UCLA's secondary was maybe the worst it's ever been this year. Like, they're, they're at least in the conversation, um, this secondary, this season. Um, I, that being said, I don't know if this is a bad hire for Arizona. Paul Rhodes has a ton of experience, and he's been a, a DC. He's been a head coach. I mean, he's done... A lot of different stuff. Um, and honestly, I really don't know how much of it is scheme versus how much of it is um, just position coaching. Um, you know, there was actually talk that UCLA's um, semi-resurgence defensively midseason was because Rhodes had played like a slightly larger role in the overall defense. I don't know if that's oh. true, but there was some speculation coming out of the program about that. Um, but Rhodes... You know, he's got a ton of experience. I think he might be good at Arizona. Um, you know, some guys are just, you know, they were a head coach. They were a D.C. They're not really like, I'm not going to, you know, kill it at my position coach job. And maybe he'll be, you know, do a better job at D.C. I, it's an interesting hire for sure. I don't know why he would have been in demand at that point. Um, I would have to imagine Arizona could have tried to get somebody. Maybe he was an up-and-comer for a similar price. Um, but maybe he came on a budget really easily and I know Arizona has been cash strapped in the past, so maybe that was it. But, um, I, I think he'll be fine. I, I don't think he's bad, but I don't, I don't know if you're upgrading strongly there. Yeah. It's funny. It's interesting uh, hearing, you know, seeing your tweets about it. And I, I, the impression I got from what you were saying was like, yeah, the UCLA secondary war is awful, but we still think he's a good coach. I, he's a, I mean, I know UCLA hasn't recruited really well, but he's a pretty good recruiter too. Right. He's um he's one of the few guys I'll just be honest. He's one of the few guys on the staff who consistently recruits or at least Okay. He was one of the few guys on the initial staff that consistently recruited. Like he's a professional. He'll do his job. Um even when there's clearly a culture of not doing that, like 
where the the head coach clearly doesn't prioritize recruiting um, at the level of other head coaches, um, he still went out there and did his job. So um, dedicated guy um, is going to go out there and, and, you know, be a pro. So I, I, I think it's a solid hire. I, I think it'll be fine. Um, I think Arizona's been pretty bad defensively. I think he'll get them back up to average. Um, and yeah. we'll see if he can do better than that. I've never seen him, you know, I, I wasn't watching a ton of Iowa State. I've never seen him scheme a defense. Um, but he strikes me as a pro coach who's going to be, you know, fine. Well, we'll see what he does in Tucson. Also some weird stuff going on up at the, on the farm, uh, David, with Stanford. So Colby Parkinson, one of the best players on the team, the, the stud tight end, he declared for the NFL draft. But KJ Costello, the quarterback, the one people were talking about is like, he could be one of the best quarterbacks in the Pac-12. He went into the NCAA, into the uh, transfer portal. I think that's 13 guys from Stanford now. One of them's like a was one of the backup tight ends who might come back because Parkinson's gone. You know, they still might get some of those guys back. But what is going on? This is a, I mean, good recruiting class, really good recruiting class, I think. But there's some weird stuff going on at Stanford. Well, so both of these moves are, are deeply strange. I mean, the Costello one is almost more understandable because Davis Mills. I mean, if you were watching closely this year, it really felt like Davis Mills beat him out. Um, he was better than Costello this year um, in meaningful moments. Um, and the offense seemed to really start moving when Mills was in there. So I think he maybe is reading the writing on the wall and seeing that Mills is probably going to start over him next year. Um, so that one I kind of get. It's still kind of strange that you wouldn't just wait until after spring and see where things stand. But I kind of get it. Um, the one I don't get as much actually as Parkinson. Um, he didn't have a great year this year. Um, no. He would, I, I want to say he was a much more impactful player last year. Let me look up the stats. Hang on. Um, oh yeah, it's Stark. Okay. So um, this year he had 48 catches um, and last year he had 29. So you're like, okay, he made a much bigger impact. He only had a hundred more yards this year and on, and he had six fewer touchdowns. Um, so much more of a big play guy last year. Um, and watching them this year, they were trying to get him the ball. Um, I, I don't have his target info in front of me, but I'm guessing he was targeted at least twice that number of catches. Um, I, I didn't see a super dominant player this year. I thought he could have used a little bit more because it's one thing to stand out when they have to pay attention to JJ Arcega-Whiteside and Caden Smith and all those other guys. And then you're, you know, maybe the second or third option on a given route tree and, and they don't have to prioritize you in the defense. And so you're getting one-on-ones and that sort of thing. He wasn't able to dominate at any real level when he was consistently getting more attention from the best defenders on the other team. So I don't know. I, I, I That one that one kind of surprises me much as the rest of everything that's going on with Stanford kind of surprises me. And I think it's his decision also strikes me as part of this larger conversation about Stanford where it's like, well, Something weird's going on there because this would have been, I think this could have been a case where they easily could have convinced somebody to return um, just based off his production so far. Cause I don't, yeah. Right now, I mean, if, if somebody's drafting him, they're looking at him as like a potential guy still because he did not show the ability to dominate when a team is focused on him. Um, so that does not strike me as a first or second round pick, really. No, it's got, it's, it's weird. It seems like, there's all this stability, like it's going to be stability in the coaching staff. We haven't heard of anything, at least lately, I haven't heard of anything of like they're going to make a bunch of changes or anything like that. 
the recruiting was good, but guys are leaving. Like it's really kind of strange what, you know, something doesn't smell right. And I'm not exactly sure what it is at this point. No, it's not great. Not great. Uh, we'll um, see. Should we uh, talk a little? Oh, should we mention the Reddit? We've got to do recruiting and then we can mention Reddit whenever time you, you know, whichever well, why don't order we you'd like Reddit to do. First and then we'll talk about recruiting because recruiting is going to okay. take a little bit longer. All right, guys, we have a Reddit now. Uh, one of our anonymous um, uh, uh, listeners just took pity on us because we sounded so stupid last week and decided to <laughs> set up our Reddit. So, Tom, if you're out there, um, it's r slash podcast of champions. Um, there's one post on it. One. I didn't make it. Um, there may no longer there may not be any more posts on it. We'll see. Um, but we'll try to post the episodes there every week. I'm probably going to cross post them to the Pac-12 Reddit site like I've been doing for a while. But we'll try to post those every week. So if you guys want to have a discussion about those, you can or whatever. Um, yeah. Or just don't use it at all. Let it be just this dead, like embarrassing thing. Uh, sort of like our podcast. <laughs> Our podcast is not dead and embarrassing. Well, maybe a little embarrassing. It's not dead. I need to join the, the Reddit thingy. Um, yeah, I you can probably just login. use my login um, once I remember what the password is. Okay. Uh, you, but you don't think I should post my you, – you don't you, really like you when I do post your own thing. I'm just I, – I have a podcast – I have a, like a podcast of champions Reddit login. Oh, very nice. Okay. And you're a moderator on there. I am a moderator. Nice. So get in there and check it out. If you aren't a Reddit person, it's just reddit.com slash r slash podcast of champions so yeah go check it out it could be our little message board for talking about the poc and uh yeah if you guys start using it i mean i'll definitely get in it but if you guys start using it i think we can get involved and and uh be a part of it but thanks for setting that up yeah so i think we had one guy that was going to set up but he wasn't a member long enough right yeah he hadn't been a member long enough so this guy superseded him which is good nice yeah very cool um, and then now do we want to talk recruiting? I mean, I never do, but yeah, let's do it. Um, all right. So obviously okay. it's recruiting in the PAC 12. So it's really just USC and everybody else, um, this day and age. Um, uh, so tell me, Ryan, um, how many, how many five stars did, uh, USC end up with this cycle? Hold on. Let me add it up. Uh, the, the, the carry the two, the, um, none. Oh, Wow. Okay. Well, it could yeah, be one really of those weird. years where it's just like, you know, 15, 24 stars, right? Where it's just, you know, loaded with guys who are going to be impact, you know, two deep guys from day one. Maybe none of those like Robert Woods types who are just going to be dominant, but like the guys who are really going to fill out the depth chart. Was it that kind of class where they just took like, you know, they're going to take 25, 30 guys and it's just going to be this solid class the whole way through, you know, really build the framework of another championship dynasty at USC. How many, how many four stars are we talking, Ryan? Okay. Well, you're, you're close. Uh, and it depends which, you know, cause which service you're looking at. Cause it's a pretty big difference. Actually a hundred percent difference. If you're looking at 24, seven sports rankings, USC signed zero four stars. Now in the composite, they did sign one. So there is that one four star. So it's either a 11-person class, 10 of which are three stars, and one's a four-star. Or if you just go by 24-7 sports, and they know the West Coast better than anybody, all three stars. Very, very strange, David. So so they're backloading. That's what you're telling me. They only signed 11 <laughs> guys, so they, they must have irons in the fire with like 14 
five stars coming in February, right? Uh, no. They uh, If you look at the top 25 players in California, they've signed zero of them. Now, they'll, they'll probably get one. Uh, Gary Bryant is a, a wide receiver. They'll probably get him. Usually, USC gets eight to 12 of the best 25 best players in California every year. Like that's how crazy this is but to have zero on the early signing period without a question. I mean, I've been doing this since 1996, the worst recruiting class I've ever seen. I've talked to people that really got into recruiting that would read the long beach press telegram and the, the signing day stuff back then they're saying this is the worst recruiting class ever. So, well, I, okay, I, oh, all right, but but hang on, hang on. All right, so obviously, yes. if if they're struggling out west, that's got to mean everybody is. Because if USC is struggling, then everybody else is. So, I mean, they they must have still finished what top three, top four in the conference in the rankings. <laughs> well, in their history, David, just if you want to be history buff, yeah, you're right. I mean, they've never finished outside of the top three. There've only a couple of times they finished second. And then last year they finished third, but every other time they finished first. So yeah, this, so this a, has got to be of the piece, right? This is a little different. Uh, they finished twelfth in the in the Pac-12. You, mean, you must mean somewhere between first and second. No, the one and the two, they're together. They're <laughs> the tens and the and the ones place. Both are being occupied by USC in twelfth place in the Pac-12. And if you expand it out for the entire Power Five which includes 65 teams, 64 in conferences in Notre Dame. USC is 64th out of 65 Power 5 teams, 1.09 ahead of Missouri. And Missouri fired their head coach a few weeks ago. So it's that's honestly, where I, USC is. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly stunned they didn't get more of a bump from the big news that they'd retained the true uh, Pac-12 coach of the year. <laughs> Clay Hilton was retained. They waited. Now, this is crazy. If they would have... Retained him right after beating UCLA. They waited 11 days before they decided he was going to come back and announced it. I did think that hurt him a little bit. It wasn't going to change his recruiting class a ton, but they would probably got more than 11. But th there was some op real optimism going into signing day uh, that they could switch some guys like a Justin Flo or get a Bryce Young, like a couple of five stars out there, get them back to USC. But nope, Bryce Young signs with Alabama as expected. Justin Flo goes to Oregon after figuring out it was too far away to go to Clemson. So it's good for the Pac-12. A guy like Flo doesn't go to Clemson and stays in, in conference and goes to Oregon, but not good for uh, USC. So it was a really crazy – I've never seen anything like it, Dave. I'm sure I'm sure it was very disappointing to you. Yeah, it was hugely disappointing. Um, it, is the <laughs> it is the funniest recruiting class I think I've ever seen. So um, they only signed 11 guys, right? How yes. many of them would you say were offensive linemen? Six. Six. How many of them were defensive linemen? Uh, three. Nine of 11 guys play on the offense for defensive line. That is so yeah. cool. And all of them three stars, except, you know, one guy that's a borderline oh, it's so four cool. star. Oh, and one of the 11 is a kicker. That's so cool. One of the 11 is a kicker. This is... Three of them are coming early, including the kicker. So you're talking about a bunch of guys that are not going to be contributing. Like, Last year's recruiting class for USC was ranked 20th, which was the worst we've ever seen. Uh, this is 79th or whatever, 78th, so by far the worst ever. No, you got, 20th. you got Neuheisel'd, um, which is his 2011 class, except Neuheisel got Brett Hundley in that class. Wow. 
You got nothing but, like that. But no, if you go go back and look at the Rick Neuheisel UCLA 2011 class, because that is this piece of crap. Like to a T, yeah. except you just didn't get the, you know, five-star savior of the program quarterback. But hey, who but knows? Even, yeah, but even last year, like when you saw how bad that class was, they had a bunch of dudes contribute. You know, Keaton Slovis, he looks pretty good. He was a three-star guy. Keenan Christian was their fourth-string running back. He was a contributor. I mean, they and they get like a Brew McCoy and a Chris Steele to come back after you know transferring or signing elsewhere. They they actually made that class work, and they have a lot of like contributors. I don't see anyone like that on this. You have a bunch of linemen that are going to be coming in the fall. What are the odds that they can like get up to speed in three weeks and and get on the field? It seems like they're not going to get a lot of freshman contributions from this. So this is uh, this is a, to me this is a fireable offense and. And Dave would take off his snark hat and tell you the same thing. This is a fireable offense, this recruiting class. Uh, th- for this, among many other offenses, Clay Helton should have been <laughs> fired a long, long time ago. Um, it is it, – so, yes, it's the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life, in my entire whole life. And I did just watch the stupid Star Wars movie. Um, but it's so bad. Like, it's just – like, recruiting that poorly at USC is difficult. Like, that's a difficult thing to do. Um, yeah, it's incredible, incredible work. Um, and it's funny, like most of the time USC was like 11th and you'd look and go, who's 12th. It was Utah. Utah was 12th, but they did what USC should have done. Pick up a bunch of guys late in the process and move up into the top five somewhere. So, you know, props to the youths. They were, you know, kind of sleeping on things, but get a, you know, a few four stars late and they move up and that, you know, that's what USC should have done. Utah wasn't going to sign a lot of guys. They only signed 17, but they they finished the way you should. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Utah was studly. Um, Clark Phillips, maybe the best recruit they've ever had. Is that right? It's. I think he's up there. I think, I think he's. he's I think he's there. the top guy. I think um, uh, from what I was reading, maybe I'm wrong, but I think he's the highest rated recruit or high school recruit they've ever signed. Um, so he's a top fifty guy, cornerback. Um, but this is a awesome class um and great for utah um they finished 32nd but that's 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 studly for utah and they closed super strong as ryan was talking about um but they got a bunch of defensive guys i mean it seems like they're they're building a brand that guys want to play for um and they cleaned up on two of their big in-home targets or their big uh in-state targets in van fillinger and xavier carlton so pretty nice class for the utes yeah they did capitalize on their success this year. It just took them a little while. It did. There was a little kind of, you know, kind of waiting, like, what's going on there? But there were about, like, 10 commits or so, and then they they jumped up and got, like, seven in the final week. So, uh, you know, that's that's kind of what you want to see. USC ended up picking, like, one guy up on signing day, so they didn't really move much from where they were. And everybody else, you know, I think – I mean, just looking at the whole Pac-12, if you want to go down – the class Washington was number one, Oregon was number two. They had the most. They had two five stars. Uh, Washington had more four stars. Stanford way up at number three, um, you know, with a twenty-person class and seven four stars in that one. UCLA recruiting a lot better. Twenty-two guys committed. A lot of three stars, but two uh, two four stars. We mentioned Utah. Cal comes in at six. Uh, Colorado at seven. ASU thought they'd be a little higher, but they only had a fifteen-person class so far. Eight. Oregon State nine, Washington State ten, and then Arizona was eleventh. With uh, they have thirteen three stars they signed. Twelve of the guys UCLA signed are from out of state. 
crazy. 12 and, of 22. Uh, 1, 2, 3, uh, 4, 5, 6. Six of those 18 are from out of the region, which is that's, really cool. That's, that that's, is pretty crazy. It's always a great formula for success at UCLA. Um, rarely leads to problems. Um, yeah, it was, a, it's a good class, um, a little unbalanced, um, because they decided they didn't want to take really any linebackers last cycle. So they took basically nine guys that projected linebacker this cycle, which again, probably won't lead to any roster issues I can think of. Um, and they're doing it again with next year. Um, they're going to probably take like eight or nine offensive linemen next year because they decided they only wanted to take like two guys this year. So it's really cool. Um, very good planning, very good roster management. I have uh, no reason to think this is going to fail spectacularly. No. Um, you, what the funny thing is, when you look at the top 25 players in California, uh, the Pac-12 got some of these guys. Um, you know, I think they did pretty well. They staving off some of the, uh, you know, the out-of-state. You know, we saw someone go to, you know, go to Michigan or. Alabama or, you know, Oklahoma State or Ohio State, uh, a couple guys. Georgia got a couple guys. Clemson got the best quarterback or one of the best quarterbacks in the region. Um, but how many Cal- of the top 25 players in California, Dave, do you think went to a California university, either USC, UCLA, Cal, or Stanford? Is it zero? Uh, one. You're close. Uh, John Humphreys uh, from uh, Corona Del Mar. Oh, did he, did he just he, break into the top 25? He's uh, number 14. He's a wide receiver. Hey, Four-star going to Stanford. So of the top 25 players in California, one of USC, UCLA, Cal, or Stanford, one signed. Every, now, USC every will get single one. one of those coaches should be fired. Yeah. USC will get one of them. Um, but the other guys that are out there, you know, ASU is probably going to get a couple. Uh, LV uh, Bunkley Shelton looks like he's maybe going there. Uh, so the, yeah, there's there's not a lot of guys left. Um, ASU's on in on a few of them, but as far as California school goes, it's probably going to be Gary Bryant Jr. from Centennial going to USC. So good for the Pac-12. They're getting the best players, a lot of the best players in California. Some left in the state, but a lot stayed in the Pac-12. They're just not going to the California schools. Yeah, it's almost like something's wrong with each of those schools in some way. <laughs> in some way, yes. Uh, but, or, you know, Oregon, I think getting Justin Flo uh, was huge. I think, you know, the fact that Clemson was was in on him uh, to get another five-star and, and Noah Sewell, that you know, Penny Sewell's uh, brother, uh, you know, another Utah kid. So two linebackers, five-star linebackers in this class. Uh, it's a physical team. I think that's certainly going to, uh, you know, help them. And, uh, you know, they did some recruiting outside of the region, too, getting a guy from Maryland, getting a guy from Alabama. But the, I think getting the best player in California two years in a row, Mario Cristobal showing that, you know, his relentless st- his staff just relentlessly recruits California. And with USC and UCLA being down, they are taking advantage of it. That's true. It's true. Um, yeah, I don't see any end in sight for uh, Washington and Oregon uh, being on top of this thing. Yeah, with the I mean, they get with Smalls too. Like Savelle Smalls, like didn't he? He was an outside linebacker, five star that uh, Washington signed. I thought he committed and then decommitted when Peterson left, and then committed again. If I'm not mistaken, I think that was the story with him. Um, no, but- so he had. Well, it was a 
a weird thing in like the spring, I want to say, where he was he eliminated Washington for a while, um, and had some like kind of not great things to say about the staff, or intimated some not great things to say, and then got the he got back in the fold, I think, or maybe I've got the timeline a little bit sped up. Might have been last fall, and then oh, uh, it was September. Okay, he committed in September. Okay, yeah, and then they mended I thought he decommitted or something. or something. Yeah. Okay. All right. I thought he decommitted for some reason. All right. But they, but being able to keep a guy like him with the coaching turnover and to sign the best class in the conference with coaching turnover shows you how good that transition was, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Miles Moreno, like the, the modern day, probably, I think I'll play guard. He might play center four star, you know, he's one of the best linemen in the, in the state. He ends up signing there. Uh, Jalen McMillan from, the wide receiver from Fresno, another four-star guy. They got a bunch of dudes that I think, you know, we see on the recruiting trails and can be out there and, and be big contributors. So uh, great. I mean, great class. Uh, Jimmy Lake, you know, finishes it off uh, for uh, Chris Peterson or they work together and now it's going to be his program. And I think they've got a, a good talent base to, to work with. And, you know, when you go seven and five, I guess now eight and five um, after the bowl win, spoiler alert, it's uh, there's there's some room to grow there. You know, I don't think this is going to be a team that loses five games next year. Yeah. And um, look, we're, we're probably going to go much more in depth on everybody's recruiting classes once uh, the second signing day is done. I know we've got some there's some cool stuff about this ASU class. I think it's probably among the best receiver classes they've ever had. Um, so we're going to do much, much more in-depth stuff in February once like bowl season and actual football is done. Um, so if we haven't. Talked about your recruiting class. Don't don't fret. Don't get upset. Yeah, we'll we're, be, we're not we'll experts in all the... these classes anyway. No, we're not. Uh, we gotta get we gotta get Huffman or Biggins or, or yeah, Blair no, or something. We're as look as you loving listeners know, we are known idiots. You don't want us talking about your <laughs> class without expert guidance to hold our hands as we uh, as we try to navigate the uh, you know treacherous paths of talking about you know seventeen year old recruits. Yeah. It's funny, like real quick though. I mean, Colorado getting twenty-two guys, a couple of four stars. I mean, a lot of guys that were, right. I mean, not you know, there's like all pretty much all three stars they were getting. There weren't a lot of like unranked guys. I, you know, I th- see just from the surface, seems like they're putting things t- together pretty well. Cal signed twenty-six guys. I mean, there's. I'm curious to see that some of these teams are going to be getting better, and uh, to see you know what what can Justin Wilcox do. Going forward, what can uh, Mel Tucker do in his second year? Um, you know the kind of stuff they're putting together. Jonathan Smith, they got twenty guys there, a bunch of you know a bunch of three stars for Oregon State. But it seems like a lot of people filled some needs and wanted to make their teams better. So I, I'm curious to see. Hopefully, the Pac-12 overall takes a step up this uh, next season. Yeah, and and Colorado's got another big one who's going to be. I, I think he might have already signed, but he's not saying anything yet. But um... Yeah, they've got they've got at least one other big commitment coming in too. Yeah, they'll bump up a spot because they're like right behind Cal, so they'll be they'll be in the top half by February. Yeah, so that'll be interesting. Cool. cool. All right, fun, fun, tough stuff. All right, so should we talk about some uh, actual football games? Let's talk about some football games. Uh, we we only had one this past week, and uh, since I don't have the board, it was the Washington Huskies. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you got it. Okay, nice. Yep. They're a little higher pitched. Rough. Yeah. My sister's dog is here in the house. I could have got that guy. Yeah, uh, just pinch the dog. 
got got him to come and actually bark. He's like a lab, though. He's not like a husky, but yeah, it's more like a well. The 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 drop is kind of a yelpy bark anyway. It's not like high pitched, but it is kind of like a yappy dog. Yeah, it's not very like deep husky voice. Anyway, Um, who are they playing? Yeah, so that was the uh, the Las Vegas Bowl. Yeah, they were playing uh, Boise State, which is. Very good. That was pretty good. All right, uh, Washington won 38-7. This was a beatdown. As Ryan alluded to when we were talking about Bush Hamden, this was the best the Washington offense has looked in quite some time. Um, Just super efficient. Um, Jacob Easton, I thought, was relatively sharp. Um, And running the ball, it wasn't a lot of huge gains, but it was a lot of just efficient grinding runs. Um, A lot of dudes got hurt in this one. Were you just watching them? They were dropping like flies, Washington and Boise State. Yeah, they were weird. Um, I don't know if it was really cold or anything, but it just seemed like guys were just getting hurt play after play after play. Um, But the offense, I thought, looked really good. Um, Defensively, though, is where they really just shut down Boise State and made them look, um, you know, very bad. Um, This was kind of the difference between, like, when we were talking about it in the pregame, well, Washington's 7-5, and but they're, like, a – a really good seven and five that probably shouldn't be seven and five. And Boise state is a kind of a paper tiger 12 and one. Uh, this is what we were talking about. And by we, I mean me because I'm the only one who got this correct. Um, you did get this one right. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I thought they completely just dictated the pace of this game, um, completely dictated everything to Boise state um, and totally shut down that running game. Um, and uh, Boise State was not able to do really much of anything through the air. Their star freshman quarterback was really, really limited um, through a couple of picks. But um, Washington's defense came into its own, I think, towards the end of the year and uh, really, really shined in the bowl game. Yeah, the the quarterback was it was a Barnes. I forget his name. Like uh, I forget, Backmeyer. But, Bachmeyer. But yeah. He was out for a while and he like came back for the bowl game. Did not look very sharp through that. Initial interception, I think, that turned into a Washington touchdown on, like, the first drive. You sort of kind of felt like, yeah, this isn't really going anywhere. But I think Boise State hung around uh, for a while. And we talk about this, too. You don't know which team's going to show up for bowl games. And we saw a Boise State team that did not look ready to play. Uh, you know, they had to play one of their worst games of the season. Certainly, probably their best opponent of the season. But they uh, they did not look very good. They didn't look feisty. And Washington, which a lot of times they can just kind of be in games and be close. And this wasn't one of them. They, they just looked so much better uh, all around. And uh, it was, it's funny that uh, Kirk Herbstreit did the game. And he was saying, and you could tell they were playing well. He's like, Washington fans have to be telling themselves, where's this been all year? So it was like 14 nothing in the middle of the second quarter. Washington was owning the line of scrimmage. And that's where Herbstreit even had to say, like, this isn't how we've seen Washington play all year. And they got some breaks. There was like a really crappy pass interference call and a pass that Boise State almost picked off that and it extended a Washington drive. Um, Boise State only had one play in Washington territory in the first half. And four of their five drives started inside their own 20. Um, they had less than 100 yards in that first half. And uh, Washington had a 12-play touchdown drive and a 13-play touchdown drive. So it was pretty one-sided. And I thought Boise State came out of the second half and looked pretty good. They got a stop. They got a couple first downs. And it looks like, oh, okay, this could be – they score here, they make it a game. 
Then they threw an interception like on a screen pass, and it was almost a pick six. And two plays later, uh, Washington scored. Easton had a really good over-the-shoulder throw, probably one of his best throws of the year that got him down to like the two-yard line. Then they they punched it in. And um, it's funny, the first two times Boise State ran a play in Washington territory, they were interceptions. <laughs> so uh, it was a pretty dominant performance. Uh, you know, there were some chances for the Broncos to kind of get into it, but Washington just ended up, you know, making the right play. And, you know, like I said, this was as complete of a game as I can remember watching Washington play all year. Maybe Boise State was just terrible. Maybe they played down that day, but Washington looked a lot better. And I agree with Herb Street going like, where was this all year? This was a team I picked to win 10, 11 games or something. And, uh, they didn't do that, but they if they played like they played today. I mean, for the bowl game for the whole season, they would have had a much. They wouldn't have lost five games. I can tell you that. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was one of their better performances, but I don't want to like denigrate too much the season they had either. I mean, they did have just some ugly breaks. Um, you know, they were a one point game against Cal, um, a ten point but very weird game against Stanford. But they lost by four to Oregon. They lost by five to Utah. Um, now, the Colorado loss, obviously, that's a pretty bad one. Um, but for the most part, they didn't play badly this year. It's just it, there were a lot of missed opportunities. I thought this game, to your point, this was the most complete they've looked. But it's not like it came completely out of nowhere. This is a team that all the analytics systems said they're still like a top 20 team. Yeah. Um, and they played like it. I mean, maybe this looked more like a top 15, top 10 team, um, but they have that in them. I mean, this is a very talented squad. I think it's going to be right there with Oregon for the most talented team in the league next year with USC dropping off. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I mean, I think they're maybe played a little bit under their potential given the talent that's there, but um, certainly this was within their capacity. And I, I think, you know, Herb Street's, Right, because we didn't see it maybe against a top twenty team, um, but they they had this in them, um, and it was a uh, a very nice way to cap off Chris Peterson's uh, career for as long yeah. as it ends up being the capper to his career. I, I have a hard time. Is it just me being skeptical? I have a hard time buying um, this retirement as a permanent thing. Apparently, and, and one real real quick on that. I mean, to the, for, to score thirteen points against Stanford, to score fourteen points against Colorado, like. That the, the team that we saw for the the Las Vegas Bowl was completely different than that. I mean, they you just can't let that stuff happen. I, I thought they used their playmakers well, but uh, we'll see. Yeah, I, I think they they left some games on the table, but there were some real clunkers on that schedule too. Uh, like they played Oregon tough, but like the Stanford game, the Colorado game, you just have to be shaking your head because they're way better than those teams. Um, as far as Peterson's retirement or whatever, I mean, they were saying that even before. Like when he was at Boise State, he was thinking that it might be time to to you know to uh, retire, and thought that maybe a change of change of scenery would work, and apparently it didn't. So I don't know if it'll be time off that'll help him. I wouldn't think he's going to come back in a year. I would think it's at least a two year kind of thing, and like the perfect situation where he's not in a fishbowl and uh, that he could come back that he would. Um, if 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 anything, I, it just seems like that's real though that he's a little burnt out right now and uh, needs to not be coaching for a while. But I, I don't guess this is a one year out and you're back in kind of thing. If, no, no, if no. He comes I don't back, think he's I don't think he's Urban Meyering it. Um, yeah. But 
Um, I, I, I don't know. I just have a hard time seeing these guys like who get to that point in the profession, just deciding they're done. Like that's a sort of a Terry Donahue thing, but not really a common thing. Yeah. But Huskies get a win. So PAC 12 on the board with a W against a ranked team. So, uh, yeah, that's good. That's good stuff good, right there. That's the, win. that's the stuff we like. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess we got a preview. Yeah. We got the a preview rest of the a bunch games. of football games. Whole mess of football games. So we'll preview the six remaining Pac-12 uh, bowl games uh, right here and do our picks. And Dave, you got all the uh, you got all the data. I've got all the data. I've got all the drops ready. We are good to go. Okay, so I, I don't know how we want to do this. Do I? I don't really have a job anymore because I don't have a button. So you just say we'll start it, off with... and then I I do the drop. So we have the Holiday Bowl, the USC Trojans, and the Iowa Hawkeyes. That's sort of the USC. Though we could do the okay. dumb, dumber, dumbest <laughs> um, versus the Iowa Hawkeyes. Um, you know what I could do for Hawkeyes? What? Um, oh, God, what's a good line from Last of the Mohicans? What's a good line from Daniel Day-Lewis in Last of the Mohicans? Or powder soaking wet! Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's what I'll go with. Uh, Iowa. Or powder soaking wet! Nice. Um, all right, so this one's on at 5 p.m. on Fox Sports 1. Number 22, USC versus number 16, Iowa, in San Diego at the Holiday Bowl. Iowa is favored by two points. How many practices? All right, here's a good question for you, Ryan. Did did USC sign more recruits this cycle or practice more times for their bowl game? I think it's a wash. You think it's even? Um, I think it's even. How they, many practices they, they... do you get for the bowl game again? Okay, there's there's not a number. Like people say, fifteen. It's not a real thing. But you can practice like there's a a number of day out uh, twenty hours a week, and you have to have at least one day off. So you could. They could have got in more like than 15 practices if they wanted to. And it was funny. We, they, they gave us a schedule with 11, and some of those were like walkthroughs kind of things. But then in the first practice we went to, Clay Helton was talking about 15 practices. Sometimes he likes to play with numbers just to like put it out there and say we've had 15 opportunities. Um, so I think he's changed it a little bit. My guess would be they practiced really about 10, 11 times. Uh, okay. Um, Iowa is, you know, they're, they're Iowa, they're Iowa as they've always been. They, and they always will be, uh, USC still very talented, um, still very USC under Clay Helton. Um, I'm going to take Iowa here, uh, mostly because I don't think USC under Helton takes bowl games all that seriously and especially not middle tier meaningless bowl games. So yeah, I think Iowa wins this one, maybe comfortably. Nice. Um, I pretty much want to pick opposite of you anyway. And uh, most of the time it didn't really work out in the Las Vegas bowl. I was leaning more towards Washington, but I'll take USC in this one. They're the more talented team. Iowa has a top 15 secondary. Um, you know, they, they give up like 184 passing yards per game. They've only given up 11 passing touchdowns all year. So it's like, that's Iowa's strength, but USC strength is going to be the passing game and the wide receivers. They have a top five passing offense. I just kind of think they're going to do better. They're just going to throw the ball. And Iowa's, you know, really good secondary isn't going to look as good against 
Michael Pittman and Amon Rase Brown and Tyler Vaughn. And what's what's the most points that somebody has scored against Iowa this year? Uh, they haven't given up thirty points, I think, in the last seventeen games. It's so twenty four is the answer. Twenty four is the 24. answer. Twenty four. So, but if it goes back seventeen games, I I think if USC gets the thirty, they'll win. Uh, and I think they can. I think it can be like a 31-28 kind of game or something. But uh, mostly just because I need to, to flip it off of you. But I could see, because USC's talented, they can win the one. So I'll just pick USC. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's Iowa, so they do like to win games by like a point or two. Um, so, you know, this isn't a great line for me. But, yeah, give me Iowa. They You know, but what, what does Iowa do well? I mean, you have uh, – Nate Stanley is just kind of like a game manager uh, quarterback. They got a pretty good group of wide receivers. They don't turn the ball over. They don't make mistakes. They they have a really good special teams. They don't get a lot of penalties. So all those things that USC's talented but screws up all the other stuff, I think Iowa could take advantage of those. So that would be a situation where USC does get a lot of penalties or they do turn the ball over and Iowa doesn't. And so if you know, even if there's a talent gap, Iowa can make that up with a lot of a lot of other ways. All right. Well, we just did that in under three minutes, which is good because if you talk more than three minutes about Iowa football, you do go to sleep. <laughs> All right. Next up, this is a favorite bowl for many of us: the Cheese It Bowl. You got Air Force, the Falcons, against the Washington State Cougars. So Air Force. <laughs> That's not really a Falcon, but. I didn't like my falcon sound from the last one. Uh, I like it, though. It's like a crow. But it's fine. <laughs> uh, and then Washington State. You want to do the growl, not the meow. I, I like it. I don't yeah. really, I, I don't know. It's, you know, I don't really have much in my, like, cat arsenal. Uh, all right, so this is on at 7.15 on ESPN, Air Force in Washington State in the Cheez-It Bowl in Phoenix. Air Force is favored by three points over the Cougs of Washington State. Um, yeah, so Air Force is a service academy, so they do kind of the – they do kind of a variation on the triple option. I don't know if they're as pure as uh, Army and Navy are, um, but they do some of that. Um, so it's a different kind of unique thing to defend. Um, they had a really good year. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like Washington State. Um, I think they can probably take advantage of a service academy defense just generally. Um, I think their receivers, Washington State's receivers, are probably more talented than they've been in a long time, just top to bottom. Um, and I think they'll be able to take advantage of that Air Force secondary. Um, and this is literally not knowing a thing about Air Force's secondary. Like, not a damn thing. Like, you could tell me 15 names, and I would just be randomly guessing as to who's actually even playing for their defense. Um, so I'm basically just judging them for being a service academy. You'll have to forgive <laughs> me. Uh, but Washington State, I think their receiver talent is going to match up very well against basically anything a service academy puts out there. Um, so give me the Cougs. I think they win it outright. You know, I wanted to pick the Cougs too. I'll stick with it. Uh, I've picked Washington State the last, this will be five games in a row. I've only won once. They've beat the spread one time. So um, I feel like I'm due. They're going <laughs> to think they're going to win this one. Now they, you know, they lost against at, at Cal. They beat Stanford uh, pretty handily. That's the one game they covered. It was a double digit spread. Uh, they didn't cover against Oregon State, winning a squeaker by a point. 
And of course they uh, fell on their face against Washington. But I feel like this is the kind of team that Washington state could take advantage of that. The, the offense is going to move the football. They'll spread it around. They'll, I, I just feel like the air raid is going to work well in this one, like you said. And uh, yeah, I mean, air force can kind of control the clock and, and run the football well, but, I, I I don't think it's a terrible matchup for for the Cougs, so I'm going to take Washington State in this one also. All right, I like it. All right, next up, we have something called the Red Box Bowl. We got the California Golden Bears facing off against. Oh yes, that was like uh, my, the, my grunty growl. I like that. The Illinois Fighting Illini. Uh, man, I don't know. I don't know what to do with that. We have a lot of uh, Indian names, right? With, yeah, I could do Hawkeye because I can do Hawkeye, but Illinois, Illini, what the hell is that? All right, uh, this is uh, 1 p.m. That'll just be my drop for them. Uh, <laughs> 1 p.m. on Fox in uh, the Red Box Bowl, Cal in Illinois. Cal is favored by six and a half points, which is the true Chase Garber's effect here. Uh, but that is way, way too many points for me. Uh, I can't pick. I can't pick Cal. I can barely pick Cal to score seven points, let alone cover what they would have to do, which would be going 7-0, uh, to win this one. Um, Illinois has been fine this year. Um, perfectly average team. Um, you know, I, I just, I don't know. This one strikes me as uh, overbidding a little bit on uh, on Cal. Um, I think Illinois' defense is pretty sharp. Their offense is pretty bad, too. I could see this this game just being very, very low scoring and potentially pretty ugly. Um, but give me Illinois. Six and a half just feels like way too much. I got to go with my, my guy, Chase Garber. So I got to take Cal. Um, to have Cal be favored by six points, uh, that's crazy. Like, they've been favored by ten and a half this year against Oregon State. They did not cover. They ended up losing that game. And they were favored against 13 and a half against North Texas. They also did not cover that game. So any spread of significant, oh, they five, they were favored to get five against Arizona State. Didn't cover that one. So any spread that's more than a couple of points, they have not covered. Um, so I don't think that's a good sign for me. But actually, they haven't covered as a favorite. Let me look at this. Okay, they didn't have a line against, no, in this, this year. So Davis, there was no line. They weren't favored against Washington. They were favored against North Texas, didn't cover. Uh, they were favored against Arizona State, didn't cover. Favored against Oregon State, didn't cover. And then they were not a favorite against Utah, Washington State, USC, Stanford, or UCLA. Wow. So they have not covered as a favorite. But okay. that means they're due. So you're feeling they're, pretty good about due. it then. I'm feeling good that my boy Chase Garbers is going to score some points. Illinois, I don't know if you know this, there's 18 former USC players on the Illinois squad. So it's sort of like playing USC um, <laughs> coming back. So, yeah, it's uh, give, me, give me Cal. All right, cool. The MVP of the league, Chase Garbers, is, uh, is back. So we love it. Uh, okay, this is now we're getting to New Year's Eve. The, uh, the Sun Bowl, we got the Florida State Seminoles, which is oh, oh, oh. Yeah. oh Sure, sure, sure. Uh, against the Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> nice. That's all right. Uh, 11 a.m. on New Year's Eve on CBS, Florida State and ASU. Uh, ASU is favored by four points in the Sun Bowl. Uh, who's even coaching Florida State in this game? 
no idea. Uh, let's look. Florida State it, interim head coach. Let's see if it's somebody interesting. Odell Haggins. All right. So oh yeah, defensive he's, he's line good. coach. He's the team's interim. Defensive line coach, I'm guessing he's going to have him pumped up for the game. And I'm basing yeah. that entirely on Ed Orgeron. Um, <laughs> okay. Is it a four-point spread? What's the spread? Four-point spread uh, okay. for, for in favor of ASU. Um, Florida State was indeed not very good this year. Um, uh, I don't know, Ryan. Um, Florida State was pretty bad. Uh, mediocre offense, even worse defense. ASU was better, uh, especially defensively. Um, Jaden Daniels is really good. Uh, is Brandon Ayuk going to play in it? Do we know? Uh, that's a good question. I know, no, uh, you know, you know, Benjamin is not going to play. Okay. Uh, I don't know about Brandon Ayuk, if you want to check that one real quick. But I did read today that Eno Benjamin was not going to play. That's not great. Uh, and Ayuk is also skipping the bowl game. Oh. Okay. Um, you know what? Still going to roll with ASU. Let's do it. All right. Let's live it. Let's live the dream all together now. Uh, ASU covers the four. Jaden Daniels has a star turn in the Sun Bowl. So this is the Sun Bowl and the Sun Devils. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that something's weird with that. There's yep. something I don't really I don't feel right. I got to go with Florida State in this one. So Florida State, you know, I'm thinking Deion Sanders. They must have a bunch of players like that, right? So they're <laughs> gonna wipe the floor with ASU in this yeah, one. Yeah, it's got to be just yeah, exactly, exactly. It's gonna be eleven. This is Deion a six Sanders. and six. Yeah, six and six Florida State team that lost to Boise State, <laughs> who we saw get absolutely trounced. But four points, Herm likes to keep it close. I'll uh, I'll, I'll allow it. I'll the, let's see what ASU has done as a favorite. Um, they did not cover against Kent State. They uh, lost to Colorado as a favorite. They did cover against Washington State. It was a two point spread. They won by four. They didn't cover against UCLA because they lost that game. Um, they didn't cover against USC. Uh, they didn't cover against Oregon State. Uh, and they didn't cover against Arizona. They're not real good as a favorite either, Dave. So, Is anyone in the Pac-12? <laughs> no, not so good. Uh, it's four points. It's like Herm will keep it close, probably be a field goal game. I'll just go with Florida State in this one. All right. Yeah. Uh, let's see. All right. Now we're getting some heavy hitters. Uh, we got some ranked teams now. Uh, this is the Alamo Bowl, a little team we like to call the Utah Utes. Nice. And they are taking on, if you look at the records, this doesn't look very even, the Texas Longhorns, a blue blood. Moo. <laughs> All right, so this one's on at 4.30 on ESPN. Uh, number 11, Utah against Texas in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, so basically a Texas home game. Uh, Utah is favored by seven points. Um, okay, so there's a theory about Utah this year that you might be able to ascribe to, subscribe to, whichever one of the ones it is, just pretend I said that, um, that uh, against the more talented teams on their schedule, they tend to struggle a little bit more. Texas certainly 
qualifies as a talented team. Um, and so while you might say Utah is a significantly better team, um, they have struggled with the more talented teams on the schedule. Um, for that reason, I'm going to take Texas in the points. I think Utah wins, um, but a full touchdown does feel like a lot. Um, so give me Texas in a basic home game because they have, um, you know, that top 10, 15 talent that Utah has struggled with a little bit this year. I agree with you. They, you know, playing a team like USC, got a lot of talented players. Play a team like Oregon, a lot of talented players. There were some issues there. Now, uh, you know, they took care of business against Washington uh, on the road. And, you know, we saw that as a talented team, but they weren't always playing uh, at their best. But I'm going to go with the Utes in this one. Uh, it's, you know, San Antonio is not super close to Austin. So it's not like it's a super you know, great home game. But there's going to be a lot of Texas fans around there, obviously, that, that live in that area. And, Did you just uh, say it's know. not super close to Austin? It's like it's like two hours, hours away. Yeah, two hours away. I mean, it's not like. It's Have not, you it's seen the like map you... of Texas? Yes. I've seen a map of Texas. There's like you four go... cities that are right next to each other, and then there's just wide expanses of prairie. For people in Texas, that is like proximate. That is That's like true. next they, door. They drive everywhere, so yeah. it's you know. But it's not like it's in the. It's not like the it's in Dallas Fort Worth, and you know you're playing Arlington or something like that. It's it's a couple hour drive, but there's going to be a crap load of Texas people there. Obviously, uh, I think it's like if you go from, I believe it's like the distance from Houston. To El Paso is like the same as El Paso to Los Angeles. Like it's like it's some crazy thing like that. Oh yeah, and it's uh, full bonkers. I've driven it. It's not, it's not anyone's idea of a good time either. Like that is a long yeah. distance. Um, no, it's an hour and twenty three minutes apart. That's what they are. Oh, that's it. Oh, see, I see. I thought it was like a two and a half hour thing. So no. it's not okay. It's not too bad. No, no, I, I drove it actually when I um, covered the Final Four at San Antonio because we flew out of the Austin airport because <laughs> budget. Um, so yeah. All right. I, I really didn't know this like that close. Cause I've, I've been to both cities. I actually like, I like going to San Antonio. It's fun. The Alamo bowl is a fun one to, I've not covered it, but it's like, I've gone there for the army all American bowl, which is now just the all American bowl. Um, but yeah, I got to roll with my youths. Uh, you know, Kyle Whittingham is like 58 and zero in bowl games. Well, I guess they lost last year, but uh, really good ball record. I think they're going to come out and, and play well. And Texas is talented, but I think this is a game that Utah has got some extra time to prepare. They'll, uh, they'll, they'll be the more disciplined team. And I think they'll come out and win this one. All right. We'll see. Uh, we'll see how that goes. So that's it, right? No more games. That's it. That, that's it. We're going to wrap it up. Uh, thanks for tuning in <laughs> and we will talk to you next time. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> We got the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl. Woo, between the Oregon Ducks. Quack, 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 quack. Pretty, pretty easy. And the Wisconsin Badgers. Badger, 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 mushroom, mushroom. <laughs> Very nice. This is on at 2 p.m. on ESPN. Oregon, number six in the country against Wisconsin, number eight in the country in Pasadena and the glorious confines of the Rose Bowl. Wisconsin's favored by three points, which feels almost exactly right. Um, however, we did just watch Oregon beat a team that looked kind of like Wisconsin in Utah. Yeah. You know, under-talented, plays that kind of power football type deal, has a really strong defense. Um 
Oregon might be equipped to do this right now. Um, they seem to be, you know, playing. Well, it was a month ago now, or it will have been a month ago when this game actually comes. So maybe they will have had time to accumulate some rust. Um, both teams, I think, have something to play for. I don't think there's disappointment in being in the Rose Bowl for either team, given the way their seasons kind of shook out over the course of the year. So I think you're going to have two motivated teams. So in as much as, you know, you're ever looking at the, you know, stats and everything, I think you can say these teams should have similar amounts of motivation going into it. Um, it is the granddaddy of them all, after all. Um, so all of that said, and basing it off of what we saw from each team over the final bits of the season, I got to go with the Ducks. I think they uh, they win the sucker. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Ducks, too. Um, like just. Just like the way they're playing right now, I think they get a little momentum from the recruiting class. Boom. I think they're in. I think they're going to beat Wisconsin. And, you know, even if they lose by a field goal, we'll just get a push. Uh, you know, getting three points in this one, I just like Oregon's chances. I, I feel they're going to play strong. I, I just felt like Utah and Oregon are going to finish the season strong. Um, I think Washington winning is maybe a good sign for the conference. We'll see how the rest of these games fare. But I'll roll with you on the Ducks in this one, Dave. All righty. Very cool. Well, that's a fun. Nice. It should be a fun bowl season. No pressure for you Pac-12 teams out there. Nobody's playing for anything, really. Um, yeah. Just pride. Just love of the game. Um, yeah. And, and whatever I might go it is, USC and... does in weird bowl games. They're yeah. not playing for anything. I'm, I might be going to the Rose Bowl again, you know, as a spectator. So it could be kind of fun. Could be fun. Uh, maybe I'll remember it this time. Who knows? Uh, I, I have my doubts, but who knows? If the, Pac, if the Pac-12 team wins, it would be better. Maybe. But I don't know. Yeah. And maybe you'll remember for... that. Maybe you won't. Maybe nice. we'll have a conversation about it after the fact, and you won't remember having been there even then. <laughs> That's true. Um, yeah, I, I, was, I got a call from a buddy today. He's like, so what time are we going to go out tonight? And I had to, I'm like, oh, I think I told him yesterday we we're going to go out tonight. But we have to do this podcast tonight. So uh, <laughs> I, I had to call him back like, yeah, I actually have something booked. Sorry, I can't do that. We'll see you tomorrow. He was very cool about it. But, you know, what are you gonna that's, do? A, that's my life. What are you going to do? Uh, we don't have any questions. The first one is a text message we got. Uh, it says, did you guys forget that, quote, Thomas is actually Barry Scott? Does he? I think he means Larry Scott. No, no, he means Barry Scott, Larry's like illegitimate brother. Oh, okay. Because he, because Tom, our, our man Tom carries uh, carries water for uh, for Larry at a for Larry. pretty prodigious rate. Gotcha. So he's Barry Scott. You realize you're handling you're handing the keys of your subreddit over to the commish, right? Just wanted to make sure you guys were aware. Don't want you to be surprised when you log in only to find out that he sold twelve point five percent of it to MySpace in exchange for exclusive advertising rights on Tom's wall. Nice text message. That's really good. Whatever, ha whatever happened to Tom? Yeah, we haven't heard from Tom in a while. Is that guy, he's probably multi-millionaire still, right? Like, yeah, I would guess so. They sold it. Like, didn't AOL, AOL buy uh, MySpace or something for like zillions of dollars? Or... MySpace, Tom. Uh, yeah, you know what? I actually was reading about him recently. Um, I think he's done what every... What every like non sociopathic rich person would do, which is like I think he surfs a lot and just nice. kind of like hangs out. Um, which is I think what like this is the this is why most people probably don't have uh that much money because they're not willing to do all the evil things and like the necessary things to make that much money. And so the ones who kinda just luck into it, 
they they don't have that sociopathic drive to just to keep, keep accumulating more and more and more and they're just like okay yeah cool all right well, i guess i can go surf all day now well it's good for him i mean it's uh it's a nice life it's funny like the Frenchster thing, if you even remember that, like I do, of course. MySpace took that over, and then like Facebook crushed MySpace, and now Facebook is for olds, and you got the Snapchats and the you know Instagrams, but Instagrams get bought by Facebook, so people don't like that as much. And Twitter's this weird beast. It's fun. Like, you know, I don't, I don't want to do new ones. I'm not going to do TikTok or anything like that. I don't do Snapchat, but. Well, no, there, there's, there's not any real new ones. So even those things, they're eventually going to be bought by the big conglomerates because it's all... The internet is not as fun as it used to be. There's not as much new and different stuff that's all relatively equal. I mean, Facebook just has too much of everything. Google has too much of everything. And so yeah. something like TikTok, um, they'll, they'll just get bought if, if they haven't already been bought. Um, yeah. You know, the, all these things are just going to go away because they're going to be subsumed, not because they're, you know, replaced by something better. Um, it's just going to be, you know, constant mediocrity of Facebook just buying up everything because they have too much money. They got they got lots and lots of uh, of the cash, but I could see now even on uh, YouTube, you could do stories on YouTube now. Oh, great. I'm sure that's useful. Yeah. But YouTube, did, like, YouTube did, yet another thing owned by Google. Google, yeah. Um, I didn't get. It was funny. Like I would have to ask, like Keely, like my former intern. You know, she's a she's a millennial, and just asking her about, like, so wait, what are the stories part again? Now I get it. Now I get that. Like, I used to just post things on Instagram. Like she's like, here's the etiquette. Like you do a post every once in a while, and I hardly do any posts, but you do stories or like your daily kind of things that are going on of your life. And I'm like, okay, so I kind of got it now. So I'm doing more of the the story kind of thing where, um, but it took a little while. You had, I had to have a young person explain it to me to figure out how this all works. Yeah, I get that. I get that. You gotta, you gotta keep in touch with the youth. These yeah, two youths. All right. Uh, should we go on to the next one? Yeah, I think you're up. This is Paul. Politics. Ryan, this is just addressed to you. I love <laughs> that you felt that you had to point out that Dave is a liberal. As if that wasn't already obvious. All right, all right, all right. Distinction. Distinction, Paul. I'm not a liberal. I'm a, I'm a like, borderline, like, like, wackadoodle, like, communist. But, like, I'm, I'm <laughs> best, the best terminology these days is, look, your liberals are more or less your centrists these days. I'm kind of a leftist. Like, I'm on the, even the leftier side of that. Um, so just, just so we're clear on all of our terminology here. Um, I appreciate that I had previously had no idea as to your political inclinations, although being an engineer, I might have guessed. I'd just like to thank you, too, on the relatively small amount of politics that you two bring to the POC. Merry Christmas. I mean, happy holidays, question mark. <laughs> oh, Thanks, Paul, Paul, Paul. Of course, you can always say Merry Christmas. No one's going to be offended by Merry Christmas, Paul. It's fine. I think some people are. No, they're um, not. It's when it's like forced. But you say something that's from your culture. Who cares? That's fine. Yeah. Whatever. I do have, I do have a question for you on this stuff. But, Paul, I, I'm not a big political person. I'm definitely more on the – I'm like fiscally conservative. I think I think I might be more of a – like even a libertarian. But I don't even know what that stuff is. But, you know, Dave, I try to – like I'll ask Dave questions about, hey, what do you think about this? And how can you explain this to me? And he, he knows a lot of this stuff really well. And I'm always open to like listen to other things, but then I'll say like, 
hey, no, I'd rather have my taxes low and like let those people fend for themselves. Whatever I got to say, like I will say that. And uh, but I think we get along great. Like I don't we ever like have fights about it. I just like asking him about his opinions on certain things. And uh, I don't know. I don't know if you like those conversations, Dave, but I, I like getting you know, you really think about this stuff more. So you'll have a lot of in-depth stuff. And I'll just be like, nah, I'd rather have lower taxes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably right. I mean, I think we just, you know, I I think about it more and, you know have like thoughts about it and you just, you want to keep your money. And I get that. I understand. I have, I have my philosophy, but the, okay. So the, the, the S was it the SJW, the social justice warrior stuff that comes up. Um, there was something at the army Navy game and this kind of play. And I just saw a friend of mine uh, that I, you know, from high school that I visited his house and we used to play this game all the time in high school. And it was like the circle game where you would put up, like an okay sign or a two-handed circle. And depending on which direction it was, you would get points to make the other person look at it. We would keep score throughout the school year. And if you poked it, you would get double points for, uh, opposite, like you like, canceled it out or something like that. But we would keep track of this. And it was like the circle game that's been going on. So this is in the like, in the 80s, we were doing this. And I guess a couple of cadets did it. And it happened in another sporting event too. And then some people are offended. They're saying it's like a white supremacist. Yeah. So, thing, this, I, is, so this is an area. So what's where, going on here? Tell like, me what's wrong. Okay. So there is a thing that's been like a 4chan thing. So it started as like a 4chan joke and like their weird like white supremacist message board crap um, that we're going to turn the OK sign into a white supremacy symbol. But then it actually did start to become that. To some extent. So this is my understanding of the whole thing. And like, look, I'm not on in into any of this shit. And I really like this is the kind of stuff where I could not care less. But <laughs> if I'm explaining it to somebody. So there is legitimacy to that sign now being a white supremacist symbol. That's not like just complete nonsense crap. I have no idea what those kids were doing. They might have been playing the like look at my dick game, which is the way I was playing it as kids, you know, where you hold your like it wasn't even the okay sign. It was just holding a circle at your thigh level, basically making somebody look and then you'd punch them in the arm. Yeah. Like I did that too in like high school. So I have no idea what those idiots were doing. Um, I, I have a hard time believing that um, younger people were as ignorant of the thing as say you or even I am. So it doesn't quite pass my smell test that it was just a purely innocent thing because that's become something that's not, the innocent thing it was when you were in, you know, high school or even when I was in high school. Um, it's become something different, especially in the last four or five years. So, yes, it's something that, like, in our today's society, we can have a whole long, very stupid discussion about what some random 22-year-olds were holding up on screen. Um, but the reality is that the the people growing up today should know more about that than we do. So I'm, I'm having a hard time believing that they were like, oh, yeah, we were just playing the look at my dick game. Nice. Okay. I wanted to get your thoughts on it because you know, I, like I like to get your opinion. I think we only have one left. It's uh, our buddy Hithliday. The we really? Prince... There's like 17 emails in here. Oh, yeah. It's just, yeah, it's just that one. Yeah. Uh, the Pete Principle. So some play on the Peter Principle. Uh, David. Uh, asked for my opinion last week on what's wrong with Washington's offense. If we saw the bowl game, there wasn't anything. 
Uh, that might seem pointless now after their route of Boise and offensive coordinator Hamden's firing, but it's kind of weird that both happened. And I think the reasons go beyond a, quote, lack of identity or a, quote, Hamden's a bum uh, diagnosis. The issue is really just with the passing game. Washington's rushing per play efficiency is excellent, though not explosive. And that continued on Friday. The running got, backs got about five yards per carry. Now, efficiency rushing tends to make fans' eyes glaze over, and they can't tell them apart from two- to three-yard runs. But any coach will tell you there's a world of difference, and they'd give their left arm for a guaranteed four to five yards per run. That's interesting. I think that's probably true. I do remember some explosive runs, but I think in general, you're right. There's kind of a grinded-out thing. Uh, the passing offense has three problems. First, Eason is kind of a dope under pressure, but a lot of quarterbacks are, and that's not really about, quote, offensive identity. Second, their third down play design was was pretty dumb. Uh, they're fairly good on standard downs, but on third and long, Hampton was calling bonkers stuff. But again, that's not identity. That's stupidity. And he said, you saw plenty of that on Friday. Sub 500 third down efficiency if you discount the obvious, obviously wrong uh, defensive pass interference flag. That's what I mentioned in the thing. Do you remember that one? Like, like the guy cut in front of the receiver and could have had the interception and they called him for DPI, which was weird. Yeah, it was bizarre. Yeah. Uh, he says third is that their senior wideouts are all inside receivers by nature. And the coaches move them outside for some reason, but they don't have the size or skill set for it, even though they were pretty good inside in the past. That's even more baffling because Washington has some underclassmen who are ready to play outside, but they refuse to put where they should have for most of the year. Friday, you got a glimpse of the sophomore Bynum and the freshman uh, Spiker leading the team in yards and average, respectively, with the senior Fuller yet again under five yards per target. So here's my question for you boys. Do coaches really view the outside receiver position as more prestigious, uh, that you place seniors there as a reward for what they put into the program, even if that's, that's not what they're good at? Um, what I've never heard that specifically, and no, I've never really either. seen it in practice. Um, I Obviously, I've seen prioritization of seniors over more talented younger players. That happens constantly, but I've, I don't think I've seen the outside receiver position prioritized as like a more prestigious um position that i don't know if that's a function of washington's offense that it might be um that just the more of the high value targets tend to go outside because i know for when i was watching um like Noel mazzoni the last good offense that ucla ever had which was Noel mazzoni's um it was a lot of slot work like it was a lot of y and and the f position that we're getting a ton of ton of the action um so i don't even those might have been even or even you know a little bit more high value to be on the inside so it might depend on the offense maybe theirs is just you know more prioritization on the outside i don't know yeah you know i i could be wrong about this hitler you might know better too but i thought the, the x and the z like the outside positions tend to be like the like they get drafted higher i don't know if there's i don't know if it would be more prestigious but that's something that's kind of coveted where you might be more of a in, a, in a slot position, it's more of like, I don't want to say you're a system guy, but you're, you know, you're fitting into a certain mold in the NFL where you're playing outside. They, I think they could feel that you could use you in different, you know, in different areas. So maybe it's something like that where they want to, I, I don't know um, if you know it's more prestigious to play out there or if it's just, you end up being more valuable uh, as an NFL prospect. 
Um, curious to see, but there, you know, we've seen some really good players come in the slot, but it seems like you want to be able to show that you can play outside with those different routes as well. Yeah, for sure. All right. So that's it for questions. Uh, should we, should we do the thing? Should we talk about the other thing that's important? Do you want to do that? Should we do we, that? I mean, thing? It's the end of the show. We could, we could do the, the spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Here comes a spoiler. Um, so, We've talked about a lot of weird stuff here on the podcast, and now both of us have seen uh, Episode Nine, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. The so, if you dumbest, haven't seen it, dumbest name. Wait, 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 wait. If you haven't seen it yet, we're not going to talk about it football anymore. So just stop. Just stop listening. Stop listening right now. We're done talking about football. All you'll miss is Ryan's dulcet tones signing off. That's the only part of this show that you're really missing. Leave now. Forever hold your peace. Yeah, and but we, you know, we could talk about the Star Wars thing for a little bit because we've both uh, seen it. And this is, I'm a little bummed. I didn't get any spoilers, but I saw Dave tweet about how he didn't like it. I saw some other people tweet about he didn't like it. So maybe when I went into watching it earlier today, I wasn't expecting as much. But it, it's just, and I love Star Wars. You know, I just anything I'll just consume it. But I wasn't in love with this at all. It just, it just was like kind of. Uh, okay, I guess, but I don't know. It just, for me, it was not, it just wasn't that satisfying. I thought it was um, maybe the dumbest movie I've seen in many, many years um, from like a storytelling standpoint, from like a, just what makes sense, like how does the plot move from A to B to C? And it's an insanely plotted movie. Like there's so much plot, like there's so many things that happen in this movie that there's, like, no room for any of them to breathe. Like, nothing happens where it's just like, oh, wow, they're going to go to this planet and they're going to spend 20 minutes there and they're going to do X, Y, and Z. It's like, no, we got to go here to get this thing and then go here to get this thing and then go here to get this thing. And they're just bouncing around. Makes the entire universe seem so small. Makes the entire thing seem like it's just nothing to go around this, like, galaxy. Like, it doesn't take any kind of time. Like, think about the way... Um, like the original Star Wars has them just like so first anybody pause this go watch the original Star Wars again and tell me that <laughs> these are even the same genre of movie um, Star Wars has like 10 minutes of two droids walking slowly around a desert in it like that 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 exists in that movie there's another big long period where they're just sitting on a spaceship as it goes through space because they want to give the effect of you're traveling a great distance. This is what's happening. And the whole movie was just a tightly plotted adventure. This one was a fetch quest. It was like the worst video game put to film. Um, yeah. It felt the like a Transformers it was like, movie. Have, it's like you have 16 hours to not only find some hidden world, um, but also like destroy the emperor that you've, it took like, five movies to destroy or six movies to destroy before um isn't that weird like it was like you have 16 hours like really like that you're gonna finish all this stuff and you gotta like you know send you on these quests and everything and there were light speed skipping which i never even heard of and they start doing that like they're just invented new shit it was just that there was some weird stuff it was it was so dumb like painfully dumb um and so i want to say the the things i liked um i thought so look all of those actors I think every single one of them, basically, was good. 
Um, and there were moments that were charming or even funny. And it was entirely, entirely because of the expressions or the way it was delivered or something that the actors were in almost entirely responsible for. Um, the The movie was very stupidly written. Like, a lot of the lines are just, like, a lot of the joke lines are somebody saying, like, they can fly now? They can fly now! It was like a, it was like a bad episode of uh, Friends where it's just Matthew Perry repeating the other person's line but in a different tone yeah. of voice. Um, it was that that level of writing. Like, just horrendous, yeah. but they deliver it well because these are all very good actors. Um, so I thought, oh, that was, that was, like, great. Okay, charming leads. It made it so it was, like, a not, like, the worst experience ever. It was just very dumb. Um, but that's all just like the movie itself, the craft of the movie itself. Like Abrams is just a bad storyteller and that's always been true. Um, the other pieces that I thought were actually like borderline nefarious were the, um, the fan service stuff. The fact that they took, so they basically said they, they, they more or less directly said the last Jedi is a garbage movie. Um, in the text of this movie, They've got Luke catching the stupid lightsaber and saying a Jedi should never disrespect his weapon after he just did that in the previous movie, which unless he's being ironic at that point, which it doesn't feel like it is. It feels like it's just fan service where they're just trying to say, well, this is what Luke should have done, um, because then he goes on to say, no, you should go save your friends because that's what I should have done, which is just absolute fan service nonsense. Um, they also sidelined, OK, whatever you thought about her character from the previous uh, movie she was a co-lead, um, which is the Rose Tycho character. And they basically oh, yeah. made her a background character in this one. And directly so in such a way as to basically nod to all of the, like, just the worst fans of this franchise in the world who decided that they were going to, like, berate and abuse that actress to the point where she had to delete all of her social media because she had the gall she to did? actually agree to be in the movie, I guess. Yeah, I mean, they did, did that. Why and, did they like her? Like, what was the... Like, um, who gives a shit? Like, Well, that gets into another political conversation about our current moment in time. But um, a lot of people read the previous movie as emasculating in some way um, because there were too many strong female leads telling the men what to do, more or less. Oh, okay. And she was one, wow. of, the, one of the female leads telling the men what to do. Um, so a lot of, um, you know... A lot of the man boys out there took their frustration out on her. And whatever you thought of the character, and I think there's legitimate, like, gripes with... If you want to say Last Jedi was, like, a little bit boring at points, it's a defensible point. I mean, the casino stuff, if you're not really into the thematics of the situation, like, you could call that boring. That's fine. Um, but getting into, like, just berating the actress in her downtime, that's crazy. That's crazy nuts behavior. And it directly led to a choice made in this movie, which is insane to me. Um, I thought that was moral cowardice uh, from the uh, from the studio and from J.J. Abrams. Um, so, yeah, there was a lot not to like. Um, it was a stupid movie. Stupid choices were made. Emperor Palpatine coming <laughs> back was just so dumb. Just absolute dumbest stuff. Um, you could have set that up better, I guess. Um, but, no, I think it's just something he pulled out of his butt heading into the making of this movie. I don't think it was intended from The Force Awakens. Um, he didn't. He didn't respond. So Ryan Johnson's movie, Last Jedi, responded to Force Awakens. It responded to its themes in certain ways. This one didn't respond to Last Jedi. It basically said that movie didn't matter and nothing in it mattered and none of the storytelling choices mattered. We're just going to go back to what we were doing and try to retrofit 
some new plot points to what um, Ryan uh, did differently. So it's a horrible just, movie. I thought it was very bad. The, uh, you know, the weird thing is, or what, I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff, but like if you start off like it's a James Bond franchise or a mission impossible or whatever. And like in the first movie, it's like the spy or the, the hero. What is his, what does he what have to overcome? There's a nuclear bomb that's going to blow up the world. It's like, okay, you, you fix that. Well, if you, then the next movie, if you're like stopping a bank robber, it doesn't look as good. Like you've already, your, your first movie, you stopped the world from blowing up. Then how do you up, step that up? And I feel like that's been the problem from the beginning where you had the Death Star and they're like, okay, so you can blow up a planet. Like, well, okay, well, what, what's worse than that? Like pretty much nothing. It's like, okay, well, we have another one that can also blow up planets. And then this one to take it to the next level, it's like, now not only can we blow up planets on one big ship, but every one of our ships could blow up a planet. And so we're going to just blow up every planet in the world or in the, in the universe. And uh, it just seemed like that was, was lame. And then bringing back the emperor, it's like, okay, what, what, I mean, I, I don't know how he came back. I don't know what the, he was like not fully formed and then sucking their life out of him. He became formed again. And I, it, to me, it's like, you got to move on and get a different, you know, it, different it, bad guy. It, it pulled all the worst parts of like the matrix, like the final two matrix movies. Um, the, Harry Potter, I was getting a real Harry Potter vibe from a lot of that stuff with, like, the Emperor coming back from, like, I don't know, did he have a Horcrux somewhere? Like, right. just it there felt, were it felt like he there was just pulling in a bunch of stuff that was not even... Look, this was a very lore-heavy movie. Like, it was all very, like, this was made for, like, people who spend, like, a, way too much time reading Star Wars Wikipedia pages. Like, it was made for those people... Um, but it still felt like it was pulling in lore from like other th properties that have nothing to do with Star Wars. Like the Emperor coming back does not make any sense. Like it does no. not follow any kind of logic. It basically walks back one of the like coolest scenes in Return of the Jedi, which is when Luke finally has this moment of Zen and realizes, oh wait, I shouldn't kill my dad right now. I'm gonna throw away my lightsaber, which Ryan Johnson was actually commenting on with The Last Jedi because Luke, at his, you know, moment of triumph, that was how he won. He threw away his lightsaber, took a yeah. beating, and then his dad decided to throw his boss in the trash. Um, th so him doing that in Last Jedi makes complete sense because that's how he won the last time. Anyway, yeah. um, but it's, uh, it, 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 takes, it diminishes that whole thing. Like, if, if you don't actually off the guy at that point, then what was it all for? What was any of the first six movies for, if not that redemption arc for, you know, uh, Darth Vader and the, uh, you know, the, the act of mercy turning into, um, you know, the moment of triumph for Luke Skywalker? Anyway, um, all very, very stupid. Um, I, I thought... You the Horcruxes, though, you're right, like... They had to find those cube things to like find the secret. Oh, it was, it, but it, that was what it was. It was just a. It was an unending fetch quest. It, if you've ever played like one of those like open worldy type video games where you're just like, I gotta go find an item. That's what that movie was. Just oh, we gotta go find this item. Then we gotta go find this item, and then we gotta go find this item. And meanwhile, yeah. we're gonna get side quests along the way. Like it's just all very, very painfully dumb. And, and C3PO like can read this but he can't translate it because of something well and that like... ended up being pointless anyway you didn't need it yes <laughs> like the whole thing ended up being stupid and pointless like it's just like so poorly written um just the whole stupid movie um but yeah i mean the, the, the what Star about the creating thing... of the fleet 
yeah, the, the fleet, the, like, they just create. He created a fleet out of no, nothing, and like, well, and that's this also, place is impossible to, the, to get to. Speaking of the smallness, these... the smallness of the universe. How so? What Lando just flies around for like a few hours and pulls in like a million ships? What? Like, oh yeah, no, I meant the like the 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 rebel, not the rebel fleet, but the imperial fleet that he created out of. Oh, you mean the, the one nothing? that just raised out of the water or whatever? Yes, like yeah. where that come, and then for Lando to go be able to go like. Like, first of all, you, you got to go travel somewhere to send out a signal. Like, you can't talk from wherever you are. Um, and then to get everyone to, like, yeah, to join in is like, that, that, that was hard to believe. Yeah, well, it's all just, I mean, the, the and people are going to be like, oh, where are you picking holes in a Star Wars movie? I'm like, look, man, go watch the original three again. Like, it's not like there are a ton of plot holes. Like, everyone points to, well, why is Luke hanging out on Tatooine? And that's just randomly where Leia's going. She's specifically going there to get Obi-Wan Kenobi, who's specifically there to watch over Luke Skywalker, who's specifically there because that's where his aunt and uncle are. But, like, there's a reason, there's a plot to all of that. Like, there's a reason why all that's happening. Um, There's a reason why all of this stuff happens in those movies. They're pretty tightly written stories. Um, Force Awakens had an unending amount of plot holes that were just random occurrences because J.J. Abrams thought it would be cool to have it there. Like, why is the Millennium Falcon just sitting on that random desert planet where Rey is? No one has any idea. There's not any explanation, ever, at any point. Yeah. Um, this movie was just full of plot holes that just, well, this doesn't make any sense, um, and there's no reason for it. Um, and you shouldn't need a Q&A with the director after the movie to figure out what the reason was. It should be obvious in the text of the movie. Um, so anyway, that's all, um, you know, the dumb stuff. To your point about the having to increase in scale the, like, big bad you're facing, um, I don't think they needed to do that, and I think that's part of why I liked Last Jedi much more than seemingly a lot of people did, is... They didn't make any attempt. There wasn't a stupid Death Star in that movie. There wasn't anything like that. It was like one Star Destroyer following their ship to this planet. Um, it was a much smaller movie. Like, it was it was smaller. It was meant to be more of a character movie. It was meant to be more of a theme movie. And that's why I thought it was more powerful than either Force Awakens or Rise of Skywalker. Because it was actually trying to tell the story. Like, what is what were the themes that George Lucas was engaging with with the first three and then the prequels? And then how do we comment on those? You know, yeah. what is the nature of the force? What is the nature of, you know, how people, you know, get into this? Can they be a nobody and, and you know, play a role in these galactic battles? Um, what's the nature of power? How does power work? What is, like, all this stuff that was, you know, worth engaging with. Um, and Abrams had absolutely no interest in ga- engaging with the, the franchise on a thematic level. And he seemed to only want to do fan service and lore. And yeah. I thought the movies were less for it. I kind of like like the characters like Ray and uh and Ren and like there was kind of interesting like they're they're they were uh what did he call it? It was uh it wasn't a bipolar, it was a duplicity or something. They were a, a diode. They had like this force diode or something between the two. Um I think that's what they they call it, like the connection between the two. I kind of liked stuff like that. Like, there's some yeah, of the I like stuff. I like the first time something like that is mentioned being like the last five minutes of the movie. Agreed. 
<laughs> okay, maybe not the last five minutes. No, it, it's but, fine. Like, and that wouldn't have required that. But much we more saw that connection. Out, but we... That's that's fine. I, I think the way it all worked, where it's like, okay, now I'm gonna suck your energy juice and become whole again. It was all very, I mean, yeah, very dumb. And like a lot of people, okay, this is turning into me just bitching about the people hating on Last Jedi, but. A lot of people after that movie were like, oh, why does Leia, why is she able to like hold her breath in space and move into the ship? And then I'm like, look at all the stupid stuff they're doing in this movie. Like Emperor Palpatine can just suck your life force. What's that all about? Where did that yeah. come from? No, that was, that was very strange. And then the fact that Ray can just heal things now or. Yeah. Or, or you can that... just give your life to somebody. Like what could we retcon at this point if you can just do that as like an untrained random person? It's all just, I mean, it's just so, t like, so poorly written. And I think at a certain level, it's not even Abrams' fault. He's just, this is who he is. I mean, he, he writes bad movies. Um, but the fact that there wasn't producer oversight over this trilogy to make sure that they're not making catastrophic errors, like, oh, yeah, all these force-wielding people can actually heal wounds and give their life to other people now. And that's just yeah. going to be a thing that we do now. Um well, okay, then nothing nothing in the movies from here on out is going to have any stakes whatsoever. If you can just say, oh, that person actually didn't die, they're fine. Um, like, it's just all very, you know, it's very hammy and stupid now. Um, yeah. Because you let J.J. Abrams just do whatever he wanted. So I think the lack of producer oversight, if I, if I was Lucasfilm, that would be the main thing I would take from these three movies, which is they're going to be... Super successful at the box office. Um, they've done some damage to the brand, and uh, Kathleen Kennedy should be out as the head of whatever this is, head of Lucasfilm or whoever is in charge of running these movies, because it's been just really disorganized. It's funny. I always get excited for these. I saw this in a crappy theater that was mostly empty on a Monday at noon, like with my family, which was fine, and we, you know, we got some food afterwards, but not like going to Hollywood for like the, the opening weekend. Like I still want to go see this in Hollywood just to like experience that and stuff, but I'm just not as, just not as excited. You know, this is something from my childhood that's ending. And uh, yeah, I, I just wanted it to be better. Like I still like star Wars. I still, you know, I, I don't, I'm not going to be as critical as you are about stuff, but it just, it would have been nice for this to be, you know, better. Um, yeah. It would have been nice for it to be like, better than the worst or second worst in the movies. <laughs> so the, you like this better than the Jar Jar Binks one or no? Oh, Jar Jar Binks, that one is far better. Um, the okay. one that's really in contention is Attack of the Clones. So Attack of the Clones is, um, it's among the most bored I've ever been in a movie theater. Like I, I remember watching that and almost falling asleep and I was still pretty young then. Like I was like 18. So for me to almost fall asleep in a movie theater was like, whew, that's a lot. That's um, the one where they kill all the Jedi and like they. No, 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 no. The, this is the, the one. Fett this is the one. middle one. Revenge of the Sith is the one where um, uh, Anakin goes bad. Uh, okay. Attack of the Clones is the one that's. God, I I don't even know if I could really describe the plot. It's the one where Anakin and um, Natalie Portman's character go and off Pat to like Hay. Naboo and they romance each other, and it's got to have like the worst dialogue you've ever heard in like your life. Oh, and then they're like trying to like go. The, that's the one, isn't that the George R. Binks one where they have to go to the Senate to like the stop the trade 
Federation no, bullshit. No, 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 that's Phantom Menace. That's Phantom Menace. Damn it. Okay. Yeah, no, Phantom Menace... So Phantom suck, Menace is also painfully boring, but there's at least a couple of cool things that save it. First, thematically, that's, it's a fine movie. Second... That's the the baby Darth Vader, right? That's when he's a little kid. Yeah, baby Darth Vader. Yeah. Um, but they've got that Darth Maul fight scene, which is maybe the coolest fight scene in any of the movies. So yeah, that's honestly by itself what saves that movie. Attack of the Clones has nothing that saves it. Even the cool fight scene in it, which isn't cool, is like... I think they did an expose on it afterwards where it's literally just people randomly like swinging things on a CGI screen in the background. But it's not actually choreographed in any way, so it looks ridiculous. Um, really like kind of a, a crappily made movie. Um, but that one still made more sense. Like it was a more coherent movie than the one we just watched. So that's where I am. Winning performances in Rise of Skywalker, like all those actors were really good. But the, the, the story itself is incoherent. Like at a level, it's just like this doesn't make any sense. The only reason like I would be enjoying this is if I'm like if this is basically like a religious experience for me, which is, I think, what it is for a lot of people, you know, going to see the Star Wars movies, like, oh, I'm going to enjoy it because it's because it's Star Wars. Um, or if you enjoy things on like a visceral Transformers level um, where, you know, those movies are big and dumb, but that's the point and people can get into that. Like if you're like a big fan of Michael Bay movies, you might have liked this one. That's fine. Yeah. Like I, I like some Michael Bay stuff, but I don't want that from Star Wars. Um, you know, because again, go back watch the original trilogy. It's not like a stupid comic book movie. Like there's actual stuff they're doing in it. Um, so anyway, all that being said, um, I, I'm I've not yet decided if it's the worst or the second worst of the main trilogy or the yeah. main main nine movies. Well, I would love to get everyone's thoughts on this. Uh, we won't be able to talk about it until the end, but you can email us. Uh, podcast at gmail.com and yeah it's weird just like you feel like i waited so long for this you know and it's just like uh it's just kind of meh you know yeah they're probably gonna. Take you think long... it's worse than that you know yeah they're probably gonna take a long break from them now but you think so like not, there won't be any like what like, off not forever but i think it'll be a couple of years before they even announce the next thing yeah, well, we can watch The Mandalorian in the meantime. Have you caught up with that or no? I've watched a couple more. I'm not fully caught up. But yeah, it's it's pretty good. Um, and I think they're doing like at least something. It's still pretty safe. They're not doing anything new. I think all this Disney stuff is going to be pretty safe. Um, but it's at least well made. Um, and that's that's all you can ask. It's fine. It's completely fine. If it was a movie, yeah. it would be like in the middle. Um, did, did you get to the... Uh... The thing where I thought it was like Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, 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 totally, and yeah, I got that too. Okay, I wasn't yeah. sure. Like, I I gotta watch that movie now that I got Disney Plus. I can like watch these movies, so it's like, ooh, I should watch. I, I don't watch any of those, so I should watch them. Yeah. So I, the reason why I can speak like semi coherently about Phantom Menace is because for the first time in what is it, twenty years, more or less, I watched that movie. I watched it ooh. this week, right after I saw this stupid thing. I was like, I, I've really got to watch. That one. I still haven't, like, found the stomach to watch Attack of the Clones again. Um, I'm probably going <laughs> to do that, though, just to really, really lock it in where I where I think Rise of Skywalker falls. All right. Well, I'll go back and watch them, too. I mean, I want to go watch them in order. You know, like, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, Wait, nine. But which order? That order? Like, episode one, episode two, episode three? Yeah, I think so. God, man. People say not to do that, though, right? They say don't do it. 
Yeah, I mean, I would probably watch them in the order they're made. Okay. Because, well, I, I guess it, it. this is where I think a big divide in it is coming from. Is like, is the timeline more important or the thematics? Because the thing is, the themes in the prequels build on stuff we see in the main trilogy. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. Do whatever you want. Live your life. Live your best life. Yeah. Well, I want to go back and watch them, but I, I'm gonna when I get back to LA, I definitely want to go watch it up in Hollywood. Maybe I'll like it a little bit better. I don't know, but um, well, but I'm so sorry I you were that. disappointed. I, I went in pretty much expecting to be, so it's probably a little bit of confirmation bias. But I'm sorry you are. I know you. I know you love these movies. Well, like I, I do, but the and because I don't read the Wikipedia shit, I don't know all the back. Like I didn't know. Like, does everyone know who Ray is? But no one really did, right? Like, no one knew like she was a Palpatine. No, because it wasn't like there was no foreshadowing of that in any way. Like it wasn't okay. That wasn't a thing. And in fact, in the previous movie, they directly said she was nobody, like nobody yeah. at all. Um, and then they just changed it. Yeah, they just changed it because J.J. Abrams didn't like that. But it it fundamentally changes the story that they were attempting to tell. Like Last Jedi has that whole thing, and then it's got that beautiful shot, which is like the coda of the whole movie, which is that kid with the broom at the end of the movie. Um, right where he's like using the force to like kind of pull the broom back to him and it's like okay the the force is democratic like it's, it's yeah there's more the nobody's it's out for there. everybody um, yeah. and it's like you know this is going to be the hope for the rest of the galaxy this great sacrifice luke skywalker made um this great heroic non-violent sacrifice he made is gonna you know spark um everyone around the galaxy and then they just let that die like let that entire thing die that entire thread. That's true. Yeah, they never really. They no, never. And, there's and, no. There's like no force. People are left in the world, but there's all these fighting ships that are ready to go. But nobody like you. You told the story. They didn't say like there's all these ships in that you know that are ready to go fight if we can just lead them. No, you said hey, there's people with the force out there. You ignored that, and then you found all these ships. Like it was really weird. That's weird. Very yeah. stupid. And it's the thing is, last Jedi. Whatever you thought of the movie, it left. J.J. Abrams with, like, a really interesting playing field to work from if he was at all creative. Like, it cleared the deck a little bit. It got rid of his very, very stupid idea, which was that Supreme Leader Snoke guy um, who wasn't interesting or compelling in any way. Um, basically left him with a conflicted and interesting villain in Kylo Ren um, and left him with, like, a, a basically an escape situation, which... You could do so many things with that third movie. It's like, um, you know, after Empire Strikes Back, it's basically like months and months, if not year, a year or two later, when Return of the Jedi picks up. You could jump ahead in time. That's fine. Um, there's so many interesting ways he could have gone, and he went with, um, again, the dumbest thing. Like, the dumbest yeah. possible thing, which is, oh, you killed my Snoke? All right, well, I'm just going to replace him with basically Snoke again, which is old-ass Emperor attached to, like, a whatever a forklift um <laughs> like it's just so stupid like it just honestly the fact that this guy keeps getting franchises to ruin is incredible um his his whole stupid mystery box thing for like which is basically what ruined lost from the jump because now looking back on it if damon lindelof had been the one doing that thing from the beginning looking at the way watchmen went and what the way leftovers went that thing probably would have been great and probably more tightly plotted. Um, but they left. They started it off with all that mystery box crap 
that J.J. Abrams loves, which is just make everyone, you know, think there's something cool that's going to happen and then make it up as you go along. Um, <laughs> this was a very stupid franchise to do that on. Nice. Very stupid director. Product of nepotism. Right. Well, it's not Disney princesses, but it's Star Wars, so... Man, uh, not an ounce, not an ounce of humor in the last twenty minutes. Just pure, pure vitriol. <laughs> yeah, well, I appreciate your opinions on it because you know you have much stronger opinions than I do. I just know it wasn't my uh, wasn't my favorite. I think but... that's the truth of like our entire um, oeuvre. Our entire like uh, oeuvre is um, I have much stronger opinions. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I have some strong opinions, but some of the stuff I just like, you know, I, I haven't done as much research i don't know as much about it, but i was like yep just not my favorite uh well it's not it's not a commentary on the quality of the opinions that's for sure the strength of yeah. which they are held nice all right well i guess we should wrap this up um, i guess we should yeah well hope you guys enjoyed it sorry if you're a big star wars fan and you didn't like it or if you did tell us why and uh tell us why we're wrong uh but that's david woods i'm ryan abraham thanks so much for tuning in to the podcast of champions and we will talk to you next time Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.